0: This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. As always, it is my great honor to be worshiping with you and this time to have been given plenty of time to dig into the scripture in order to bring this text to you. Now I wanna start I think by a little reassurance if you'd go back just one slide. This, this picture, I just love all the work that the slide people put in, but I do wanna start by saying nobody looks like this. <laughs> Nobody looks like that, like that's some brunette Barbie doll Eve or something, right? I mean, right away, we're starting with a little bit of comparison shame when we see that picture, so just move on by that one. Thank you, yeah, and uh, there we go. Oh, shoo. Thank you. Just had to clear that out of my psyche. Let us be together in prayer. Almighty God, you have gathered us this day. That as we sit with you and with one another and receive the gift of your insight and wisdom, that we, centering our hearts on you, would have you speak to each of us today a word of hope or comfort or challenge as you know our every need. We give you thanks for words of grace and for your presence through it all. Amen. As I prepared this sermon on Genesis, and we get to start right in the Bible, In the Hebrew text, this song kept running through my head. Woodstock, 1970, that's the name of the song, as well as the event. It was written by Joni Mitchell in celebration of that folk music festival on a farm in upstate New York. Now, it seemed to me possible that some of you had actually been there. (laughs) Anybody went to Woodstock? All right, well, it was possible, I thought. Well, picture yourself there in a Nehru shirt and paisley bell-bottoms, or a macrame halter top and short shorts. A little weed gets passed around. Half a million people, they said. Well, who went to Woodstock and what were they looking for? In the 1970s, youth rebellion was in full swing People honored diversity there. They dreamt of world harmony, equality for women, and a return to the land, 40 music groups singing there, proclaiming that wars would end, that police officers could carry flowers in their weapons. And you probably have this in your head, and this is the opening lyric, I came upon a child of God who was walking along the road. And I asked him, where are you going? And this he told me. I'm going on down to Yasker's farm. I'm gonna join in a rock and roll band and camp out on the land. And I'm gonna try and set my soul free. We are stardust, we are golden. We are billion year old carbon. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Well, this morning we go back to the garden where God is busily shaping the earth and the seas and the stars and planting shade trees and clear blue streams and the butterflies. And all of this is very good. And we have this creation. God keeps walking around in creation saying, oh, My, 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 this is wonderful, this is very, very good. And that's what happens on days one through five, and then we get to the problematic sixth day. And here comes trouble. I thought about subtitling my sermon, perhaps God should have taken the whole weekend off. (laughs) God could have rested on the sixth day, you know, it's Saturday and Sunday, you know, take two days off before you create something as important as humankind, because when people come along, it gets all bollocks up. In the symbolic mythology, in the creation story of the garden, this is a place so beautiful that God walks around like a toddler with her first Barefooted freedom on a plush green lawn. In the garden, promise and potential is everywhere. And so God forms Adam and Eve from dust and clay. Voila! They are gorgeous. And they are naked. And they are unashamed. And they are made in the image and likeness of God. They have godness in their very beings. Now, I want to note that the Hebrew texts were set down after years of oral storytelling. There were so many variations. There were as many variations as there were storytellers. And they were preserved by our Hebrew ancestors to explain things, like why people and snakes don't get along so well. I went to a, a zoo recently, actually, and you know why, snake, why you're afraid of snakes is because snakes are actually afraid of you. And that was new news to me. These stories are set to explain how things really are, like why men and women blame each other all the time. Why do men blame women for tempting them? Why was the clothing industry invented? These are the kinds of things this story is meant to understand. So you get the point, but we are inclined to take these stories at face value rather than to plunge headlong into them, which I'm asking you to do with me today. John Dominic Cross, a New Testament scholar, for years president of the Society for Biblical Literature, used to warn his first-year seminarians about the texts. He says, it's not the case that those ancient people told literal stories, and we are now smart enough to take them symbolically, but that they told them symbolically, and we are now dumb enough to take them literally. (laughs) Today, I invite you to be smart about this text and let the symbols sing. Okay, so back to the story. So Adam and Eve are created, and God plants two trees in Eden that have particular significance. I would tell you, I begin every first semester lecture in my human sexuality course at the college with this little lecture I'm going to give you. So there are two trees planted in the garden there. The first tree promises Adam and Eve everlasting life I have to tell them all this to make sure they know the story isn't about sex, but that's another class. So there's these two trees, the everlasting life tree, which would be great, you eat of that, you live forever. And the other tree, which is the knowledge of good and evil. And if you take that, you become really smart. So God doesn't really think it's a good idea for them to eat From both of these trees because if you do you would become like God a know-it-all with a moral compass (laughs) and that won't do because God is after all planning to remain the one and only Yahweh so Adam and Eve are warned about these two trees and you know how it goes from here Eve is standing beneath the tree of knowledge and sees a gorgeous snake, which in Babylonian mythology is the symbolic male phallus. Now that's a twist on the story you hadn't known about. So the snake tempts her and she falls for it. She gets super smart. And Adam, not prone to accepting a lesser position, takes the apple from her and now he is super smart too. The only problem is they both find themselves aware for the first time that they aren't perfect and shame enters our story. And blame begins. She says it was that snake and he says she's the one who took me down and that is good mythological symbology. It has lasted us for thousands of years and it has sold a lot of products. Even people who haven't set foot, foot inside of a church know the Adam and Eve fall story, and they get it all mixed up, but they all know about it. Because what happens at this moment in the garden between Adam and Eve is dominance enters the picture. One upmanship, and they begin to jockey for power, and they trade innocence for shame, and their mutuality for dominance and all of a sudden, endless possibilities become categorically better or worse. Runway models, Vogue magazine, Versace appear to help the poor lovely bodies out of shame because then we began to have all these categorical things, thin bodies, good bodies, thicker bodies, bad bodies, some genders good, other genders bad, mixed up genders really bad, heteros good, homos bad, male body's good, female those temptress bodies bad. Oh my gosh. And people get sorted out by race, even though genetic science has clearly now linked all of us to an African female as our primary ancestor. Ergo, the problem with that picture. (laughs) The pattern of dominance emerged once shame and blame were introduced in the garden. Everything became labeled, and labeling is always dominance and shame, and everything became placed in this hierarchy of goodness over badness, and people started looking for who else to put down and blame for their behavior. Where once God saw everything she had made and everything is good, it's all good, I wonder if by now, at the end of the sixth day, she's in real stress. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Well, that's only the first half of the sixth day. We're not off to much of a start here. We are already buying corporate jets and comparing our Gucci handbags. But there's still more to the text. The animals are created here, and just before Adam and Eve take the fruit off those trees, they are told by God to, and here's the Hebrew word, veyirdu, V-E-Y-I-R-D-U, And it's a Hebrew word. We can't get around this word, meaning subjugate or dominate all other creatures in the garden. God blessed them and said to them, this is what my father threatened to say at my wedding, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. And God tells Adam and Eve to dominate the earth. Big mistake. Or remember now that the story explains what the Hebrew people were seeing around them people dominating the earth. It explains the oppression of slaves, women's abuse, war over land ownership, and more and more of the destruction of people and the earth and the planet. We, in this storytelling, recognize what has already happened outside of Eden. And then I learned in preparing this sermon something I didn't know, which is conservative Christians have what they actually call the dominance mandate. In this theory, we humans are supposed to, for those who read this literally, use and abuse the earth and dominate it. We can use it until it is up, they think, because God gave it to us and they interpret this to justify abuse and power hierarchy. God above humanity, humanity divided by genders, white skins over brown skins, children dominated by adults, and the earth under the ruinous dictates of human greed, all of it, deforestation fracking, the planet heating up, the humanity in avoidance, all of it, and they believe that it is the humankind position the right of humankind to name and dominate the planet. Well, I was reading recently that in Oregon, in our Eden here, the Bureau of Land Management and the Forest Service has increased timber sales in our fragile ecosystems, and they rebranded things. The other thing we got good at doing is just naming it something else, and then we can dominate it because clear cutting is now called regeneration harvesting and logging roads are now called transportation management and the killing of rare species is documented as incidental take we are using the language of war to profit from the earth and remember how we also renamed nuclear weapons peacekeepers We are crafty in our dominance. So we need the wisdom from those who firmly believe in God but reject this interpretation of the Dominion mandate. On September 3rd, the Dakota Access Pipeline Company took dogs and attacked Native Americans as they protested against the $3.8 billion pipeline construction. And I learned this morning, thank you to Marie, that. One of our United Methodist Pastors in Oklahoma, Rev. Anita Phillips uh, is, and her congregations of people, uh, some indigenous and others, are all part of this movement. If completed, the pipeline would carry 500,000 barrels of crude a day from North Dakota's back in oil field to Illinois. The project has faced months of resistance, not only from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, and members of nearly 100 more tribes from across the U.S. and Canada. We are being called back to the garden. In the garden, we were created with goodness and beauty. I feel overwhelmed when I face some of these things by the smallness of my own life in the garden, when it seems that the planet is already bought and sold, and seeds are owned by companies rather than farmers, and I need to be with animals and the natural world on a regular basis so I can maintain hope. Well, we have a Methodist seminary in Ohio, Methesco in Columbus, it's on 80 acres of land And they have developed a degree now, in the opposite of the dominance mandate, in eco-theology. And they have turned the land there, that 80 acres into garden. And with all the food there, they supply their own campus and the neighboring communities. They say eco-theology focuses on the interrelationship of religion and nature, particularly in light of the environmental concerns of our day. It starts with the premise that a relationship exists between human religious worldviews and the degradation of nature, both its destruction and its possible co-creative liberation. When we see the natural world as a source of power or wealth, we are already in a downward spiral of shame and blame. But when we see ourselves as given the right by God to subjugate others, whether that's plant or animal, human, when we do that, we are already in sin. Say it with me this time, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. As a funny side note, my colleague Bill Jacobs recently found that there was this old guy named Dan Parmalee. Parmalee. I think you have to say it like that. A hunter and a trapper. In the 1800s, he lived all alone outside of Kankakee, just west of the Indiana state line. He claimed to his dying day that he had found the biblical Eden on an island in the middle of a swamp. His proofs included apple trees, petrified serpents' heads. Oh, and Dan claimed to have seen Adam and Eve there, along with deer, bear, and fur-bearing animals, and wild fowl by the thousands. And it was an attraction, all right, a tourist stopover. Well, I'm sorry to say you can't go there anymore. That's not the way we can find our way back to Eden. They sold it at auction in 1901. So I think we have to create something else. As Joni wrote, maybe I could walk beside you, because I've come to lose the smog. You know, 94% of the people of the world live in dangerous air, live and breathe dangerous air, 94%. I took that quiz on the New York Times. I got it wrong. I said, oh, maybe a third of us. It's 94%. So maybe I could walk beside you because I've come here to lose the smog, and I feel just like a cog in something turning. Maybe it's the time of year, or maybe it's the time of humanity. I don't know who I am, but life's for learning. We are stardust. Say it with me if you know it. We are golden. We are a billion-year-old carbon, and we've got to get ourselves... Back to the garden. This week, take one action step to lift someone up, to challenge some bully you know. Egotistically, set aside your consumerism. Plant some seeds. Plant some hope. Listen to three days of music. Join a protest. Camp out beneath the stars before the snow falls. Write it down right now or put it in your mind, the one thing you will do to get yourself back to the garden this week. Because in the garden, as it was intended to be, God sees and knows that subjugation wasn't quite the right word to use and that dominance was sort of a bad translation. What I meant was, she says, be responsible for it take care of it, be protective of it. She also promises to welcome us back to the garden where all day long, every morning and every evening, life is sacred. Amen. We have a litany Perhaps you'll stand if you're comfortable doing that. God creates all things, renews all things, and celebrates all things. Earth is a sanctuary, a sacred planet filled with God's presence, a home for us to share with all creatures. God became incarnate as part of Earth, with all genders made in God's image. The Earth and all upon it were created to live in harmony and reconciliation with one another and with God. God commanded us to renew all creation, restore the cities we inhabit, and to overcome dominance that destroys the Earth and impoverishes people. And then would you say this part with me? We ask, loving creator, that you plant us again in a new Eden, a place where there is plenty, where shame has no power, and where all are lifted up in love. Amen. You may be seated.